0: Welcome to Screens of the Stone Age, the podcast where scientists review movies about prehistoric people. My name is Josh Lindell. I'm a grad student studying Neanderthal teeth, and I'm here with...
1: I'm Kim Plomp. I am a bioarchaeologist. I study the human skeleton, health and disease, and human evolution.
0: And I'm Ross Barnett. I
2: study paleogenetics and the extinction of large mammals in the Pleistocene.
0: And today we are reviewing a movie called... Arag. There's a subtitle I think that doesn't show up in most places, a prehistoric story or something like that. I'm going to guess you guys haven't heard of this one. No. Ross, no. No, nope, no. Nope. Some of our listeners may have because this is I think uh an extremely big budget very popular movie in Turkey. It's a Turkish movie. Uh it's a sequel which made it a little confusing at the beginning, but it's a sequel to uh, sorry, this movie is from 2008. It's a sequel to a movie called Gora from 2004, which at the time was the most expensive movie in Turkish film industry history and one of the top grossing films of 2004. And it is a these are is a, apparently a very um, popular, franchise there was another sequel in 2018 and in 2022 netflix picked up a series based on it uh so uh despite the fact that we've never heard of it is probably an immensely popular movie in turkey
2: i can see how it could be because i I actually quite enjoyed it i thought it was uh quite fun i definitely laughed a lot more in this one than i have in in some of the previous hollywood uh versions of films that we've watched so yeah
0: yeah
1: me too
2: i liked
0: it and i I think I think a lot of the humor probably didn't translate mm. so if we actually understood the original Turkish it might have been even funnier but I agree it was uh, there were a lot of really good jokes in it Yeah Mhm Uh anyway who wants to summarize this one?
1: Uh Ross is always better at paying attention to these things than I am. <laughs> I got a bit lost with the whole space stuff.
2: <laughs> well, I can try, but what usually happens is I kind of follow my notes and then about halfway through the writing gets too difficult to uh, read, and I go <laughs> off into a tangent. But yeah, I mean, as, as Josh said, it's a it's a sequel. But you can kind of you don't really, I think, need to know what happens in the sequel. It's kind of quite well um, signposted in the in the first sort of ten or fifteen minutes of the film. So the kind of background is from what I've worked out in the first film is that this fairly average uh, Turkish guy called um, Arif somehow went to a different galaxy and met uh, a female alien called Cheku, who he, who despite him being about, I'll be generous, saying 30 years and several attractiveness classes different from uh, Cheku, they end up falling in love and getting married despite the uh, evil intentions of a bad guy called Logar, who is incidentally and confusingly, played by the same actor that plays the main character of Arif. And the, the kind of differences between Logar and Arif are, are quite good. I didn't realize until about 15 minutes in that they were the same, the same actor. Um, so that was quite... I
1: didn't even know until you said it.
2: Really? <laughs> no. There you go. That, that's where it is. So, um, but did you
0: realize that the caveman bad guy uh, was also played by the same character? He played three characters in this movie. I did not realize that. I did not that. notice. No. Wow. The chief of the, uh, of the bad guy tribe.
2: Okay, well, there you go. Huh. He's a regular Turkish Mike Myers, um, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that, that's, that's probably what happened in the first film. They, there, there's some kind of almost thwarted romance between uh, Arif and Cheku, uh, and Logar, the baddie, has been trying to get in their way, but love conquered all. And so at the beginning, Cheku is pregnant with their, um, their child, they're about to, um, I think, get married and go back to uh, Cheku's home planet of, of Gora to have the baby. Um, but they're, so
1: that it has dual citizenship. <laughs> so that it has dual
2: citizenship.
1: But unfortunately,
2: <laughs> uh, Arif, being the kind of white boy that he appears to be, uh, sold Cheku's, uh spaceship for scrap and got a very bad price for it. Uh, he only realizes later that it's made out of titanium. Um, and so he could have got a lot more than the, I think, four lira or whatever it was that he got for it. Uh, so, yeah, so so uh, Cheku and, go- and Arif have all these big plans. Uh, they're a bit scuppered because Cheku wants to go back to her planet, but they don't have a spacecraft. Um, she is learning about Earth. So one of the things that she does is watch television and go on the Internet. Uh, and she asks uh, Arif, did people really evolve from monkeys uh, that's one of her, her questions, but just kind of foreshadowing some of the things that, that I guess, go on uh, later on. So uh, that's the kind of setup. And then what happens is Lorgar appears again, the baddie. Uh, he, he kind of comes in through the airport, uh, does some very uh, maniacal swishing of his evil cape, uh, which I appreciated. There was some good uh, evil cape swishing going on. Uh, and he pretends, although we don't realize at first, he appears to have turned over a new leaf. And so Logar is very friendly. He says that he wants to help Arif and Cheku and he'll lend them their, uh, lend them his spaceship so they can get back to Gora so that she can have her baby there to get dual citizenship. Uh, and so he says that Arif has to come and meet him and get the, the uh, keys to the spaceship. But it was a trick. It was all a trick. He's still totally evil. Uh, he still has plans to break up Cheku and, and Arif and he, <laughs> he imprisons Arif in it looks like the the thing that imprisons Mr. Incredible in The Incredibles, this kind of round power ring <laughs> that he is helplessly bound to uh, and he kind of starts monologuing and he, he says that his plan is to sort of take over Arif's place he's going to uh, copy his clothes, copy his voice, copy his hairstyle, uh, of which Arif is very incredulous of because he has an amazing uh, kind of greased comb over I think is the only way to describe it and he says that Logar will never get it right um (laughs) but so they have this kind of amazing uh kind of pop culture uh riff where uh, Logar says he's going to use the face-off machine like the face-off film with uh John Travolta and Nick Cage there's all this kind of swishing machinery (laughs) and I I really I laughed out loud at this bit they have all the swishing machinery and it looks like they're going to you know uh Scientifically, kind of remove his face and replace it with with um, Arif's. But actually, all that happens is it, it, this incredibly advanced machinery takes out a tiny little uh, pencil mustache, which which Arif is very proud of, and puts it onto Logar, and then they're essentially uh, indistinguishable, which was which was hugely <laughs> funny. <laughs> and so, as part of his plan, as well as uh, changing his kind of appearance to that of uh, Arif, he's going to send Arif back. 500,000 years into the past uh, and arif says well why 500,000 why not send me 1 million and so he says yeah good idea and so using his power of time travel which he also has he sends arif uh, back in time to 1 million years although interestingly um arif's phone still works so the first thing he does when he gets back to 1 million years <laughs> is his phone somebody i couldn't quite figure out who uh in the present day, I mean, we've got to, we've got to suspend disbelief that um, somehow he managed to contact someone uh, in present day using a mobile phone. But anyway, they have a kind of weird conversation in English uh, and Turkish, um, but I didn't fully get all the implications of that. Uh, but he, he kind of realizes he's one million years in the past. He sees, of course, dinosaurs, pterosaurs, uh, all sorts of prehistoric life. Uh, he doesn't see any of the prehistoric life that would actually be there around one million years. No, no mammoths, no uh, saber tooths no, no mammals of any kind, but lots of theropods, lots of small kind of, uh, I guess, ornithomimids or um, compsognathus, something like that, little small meat-eaters that kind of move in flocks. And the animations of these are really cool, actually. I thought for um, for the budget that it had, which wasn't huge, they, they did a really good job of making the dinosaurs uh, lifelike. Uh, anyway, so this is this kind of start of his adventure. he's He's marooned a million years in the past. He has to get back to the present day to his uh, kind of own time to stop Logar um, taking Cheku away from him. Um, and that's his kind of narrative arc that he has to follow. so he he kind of wanders around, um, he finds some some uh, hominids sort of simian type chimps people in chimp outfits essentially but quite good chimp chimp outfits i mean these are uh, at least the standard of planet of the apes if not a bit higher uh, he tries to teach them to stand upright they're not really having any of it but he he does uh, hang around with them for a bit um i i kind of thought that maybe the ice age started overnight but it was really just a bit of snow um so cold that uh, when he goes for his morning pee in the morning it freezes <laughs> um, he, has enough of the, he has enough of the eight people, and so he d- disappears. And just as he disappears, the, the kind of monolith from 2001 drops down from the sky uh, and, um, I guess, accelerates the evolution of the chimps. Um, he starts dowsing for water because that's what he needs. So he's got a dowsing rod. Uh, he discovers a snake, and then he says, oh, there's no evolution. It's still just a snake. Uh, which is interesting because that's, <laughs> that's very much a, a kind of creationist uh, school of thought. Um, but while he's looking for, for his water, he, he bumps into a T-Rex or some other kind of equivalent theropod. I didn't get a good look at its arms to see whether it was T-Rex or something else. Hmm. Um, but uh, they, they kind of get off on the, the wrong foot. He thinks it's trying to eat him, but actually it's just protecting its eggs. It seems to be a lot smarter than even the monkeys. And so... He basically backs off and says he's not going to bother their eggs. And the T-Rex gives him uh, a big, knocks down a hive of, of honey for him, which is nice because he's hungry. And then, weirdly, despite it being a beehive, uh, a giant hornet wasp appears. Um, you know, that, that's kind of weird. Uh, and starts to chase after him and stings him on the head. And then, also weirdly, he says, how do you treat a bee sting? Ammonia, which is not what you treat which is what you treat bee stings with. Uh, so bees have uh, an acidic sting, and so you have to treat them with the base. But wasps and hornets have an alkali sting, and so you've got to treat them with an acid. So if you get stung with a bee, ammonia, by a bee, ammonia is a good treatment, um, or some other kind of weak base. If you get stung by a wasp, you want to put a weak acid on it, so uh, vinegar or uh, lemon juice or something like that. So a bit of confusion there, a bit of uh, entomological uh, Confusion, but never mind. He's still wandering around. He's had his honey. He gets captured by some some cave people uh, who are the first group of the two that we meet. Uh, I think these are the Erogians. Am I correct in that?
1: I think so. The ones
2: that have banned all inventions. Yeah. So these these guys have, for reasons that are never actually fully made 100% clear, have banned all things that are new. So... They're not allowed to write or draw or have um, big spears uh, and good lithic technology and all that kind of stuff. Um, while he's getting captured by them, he kind of, we kind of meet a few of them. So we meet the, the kind of chief. We meet uh, Tazo, who's like a, the, the son of the chief and who's a kind of thwarted artist. He has lots of uh, artistic skills. And while he's getting uh, taken away, Tazo breaks his arm uh, I think he falls off something um, and his arm gets broken. And obviously in caveman times, that's, they give him up for dead. Uh, you break yes. your arm, you're done for. So they start to bury him. Uh, the <laughs> Arif, being a modern, <laughs> being a modern man, uh, realizes that that doesn't have to be the end. Uh, he splints the arm. And so they, beca- they kind of build a rapport through, through him saving him from being buried uh, alive and a, and a terrible death from a broken arm. Uh, We go back to the the kind of Erogians camp. We discover a bit of their background. So the original chief, so Tazo's grandfather, uh, was um, killed and they were very upset by this. So they decided to build a rock tower up to heaven, which is basically like a a kind of massive obelisk um, with the plan that they'll go up to heaven and uh, rescue Tazo's grandfather and bring him back to the tribe. (laughs) there's a kind of quite slapsticky bit where Arif gets forced to, to go and climb the tower and he gets to the top um, and he meets, I think he meets the the grandfather, the original chief, uh, and accidentally kind of pushes him off the edge, finds him holding on by two hands, uh, <laughs> gives him a cigarette to kind of calm his nerves and tells him to cup the cigarette so he can light it. And of course, the... the original chief uses both hands and falls to his death uh, which is um, a kind of uh, it, it's the kind of uh, push point for, for Arif to say that smoking will kill you um, which is also quite, quite amusing <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so he comes back down apparently he's the only person to have made it back down from the, the stone tower so they, the Arogians kind of treat him with a little bit of respect um, Taslow shows him some of his drawings uh, he sees that he's, he's drawing some nice horses we don't see horses anywhere in the film but he's drawn some horses in a kind of uh, Lascaux, uh, Magdalenian style uh, polychrome, very nice uh, but he's also hid, hidden away on his uh, artistic wall a very nice drawing of a girl from uh, a different tribe called Mimi who he's madly in love with so madly in love with that he's actually managed to tattoo her face onto his back in a full kind of back tattoo um <laughs> which considering that he he's hardly even spoke to her is uh quite appalling really i would say so yep. arif decides being a modern man <laughs> that he will teach Tazo how to woo mimi how to um sophisticatedly su- seduce her which seems to involve just having a bath and giving her flowers. I mean, it's not rocket science. Um, <laughs> yeah, but he also, fair,
1: that would get me.
2: <laughs> he also enlists Tazel help to try and break into where all this forbidden inventions are stored, the cave of forbidden inventions, to see if there's anything that will help him get back to his own time. But all this is kind of getting in the way, Arab's getting frustrated because he wants to somehow advance the, the cave people's civilization so that they will kind of progress through all the stages from uh the the kind of uh Paleolithic to the Neolithic to the Bronze Age to the Iron Age and on to his own time so that they will invent a time machine for him to get back or something. It doesn't really make a lot of sense if you if you sit and think about it, but it does make as a, a setup for a lot of um, I guess very funny. Gags in Turkish, um, so he, he's he's kind of left Mimi and Tazo to, to kind of get to know each other. He's trying to advance uh, Mimi's tribe because by this point they're uh, they've broken into the cave of forbidden invention, stolen them, and taken them to Mimi's tribe. They've been exiled by Tazo's uh, father. They've been banished, which is a very classic trope from all of the the cave people movies that we've watched, where um, yeah. you have two tribes go to war. Um unfortunately there is no time machine in the cave of forbidden inventions the most uh, advanced item they find is a Betamax uh video player which apparently <laughs> fell from the heavens uh, <laughs> which is quite funny um that's not what you expect to find and Arif is pissed off because there's not even any videos for it um but back at Mimi's tribe they're trying to advance civilization they've kind of somehow invented agriculture using the all the inventions that they've stolen uh, Arif's uh, made a uh, dinosaur powered um, flour mill which is pretty cool. He's got one of the little um to kind of run in a wheel which turns the uh, the mill uh, to grind the grain which is great. Um they they start teaching the kids and this this bit went on for a, quite a while. The, Mimi becomes a teacher of all the all the tribe's children and I think it must be a satire on education in Turkey because I, I didn't fully get it but there was clearly something going on there. About teaching methods uh, and and that kind of thing, um, so I guess that would have made more sense if I had a better understanding of um, Turkish education, but anyway, at the meantime uh, what 's going on uh, Arif's still kind of trying to persuade uh, Tazo to to get with Mimi he gives her some uh, he gives him some mints, they invent alcohol, so they invent raki and, and how to drink it. Um, uh, which leads to Tazwell getting a bit drunk until he get, needs some some breath mints to, to freshen up uh, so that Mimi doesn't think he's a drunkard. Uh, unfortunately, at the same time, uh, Arif mistakes one of the uh, mints for the Viagra pill, which he bought at the beginning of the film. And so that leads to lots of uh, lowbrow uh, comedy with him. Uh, it, it's fairly strongly implied that he goes off with the chimpanzees and sleeps with one of the chimps, isn't it? I yes. didn't just this read is too the much second into it. movie yeah. that's
0: done that yeah. uh, and it's always kind of jarring yes. <laughs> it is um so that that's what's
2: going on there uh and I, I guess you'll blame uh the cephalus, but you know that's not really going to cut it <laughs> <laughs> um and then the the kind of the kind of showdown becomes that uh The Aroganes are pissed off that the other tribe have stolen all their inventions. They're kind of going to go to war. And then, very subtly, uh, they decide to not go to war, but to settle their differences with a football match. Uh, And so it
0: kind of segues... Also the second movie that's done that. Yeah,
2: it kind of segues into into, um, a prehistoric football match. And unfortunately, the Aroganes are expert football players. I got the impression that some of the actors on the erogian football team were real footballers maybe from the turkish team or something it they looked dead. like they, they could have been yeah uh, anyway so the erogians the tradition is to play football whereas uh, mimi's tribe i don't know if they even have a name but the other tribe have no football uh, experience so that quite a lot of the rest of the movie is taken up with like a training montage of how to get cave people to play football and the the time comes they they go to the arena Obviously, it's like an underdog story. So they have, the rules are first to five, they swap ends, first to 10 wins. And so, you know, it goes 5-0, 5-5, 9-5, 9-9. And then all of a sudden they're about to win Um, uh, the good guys, not the Arogians, the other ones. And then one of their players gets abducted by a pterosaur, um, which leads to a penalty. <laughs> but at the same time, uh the the chief of the the good guy tribe he's saved the um does he did he save the penalty and that messes up his hands or is it a previous goal that he saved i can't remember he, he saves he saves a goal essentially and the power of it is so much that his hands get all messed up and so they have to call on uh the old guy that invented raki in the tribe to be their new goalie which actually works because the, these guys have plot armor, and so they're never going to lose. Um, and Ar- Arif, somehow, it's not explained particularly how, he's developed some superpowers, which only appear when bread is broken over his head.
0: That must have happened in the first
2: movie. Yeah. I guess. Um, so he can, you know, uh, Matrix-style jump in the air and, uh, and stay there, and he uses these powers to score the winning goal. Uh, and then everything's over everyone celebrates um he is kind of resigned to his fate that he's going to have to stay around in 1 million years uh bp but then all of a sudden a time ball appears and outsteps uh Cheku his wife who is pregnant with this kid um and so he's overjoyed and what's happened is that basically um the second that, that uh, Arif went off with Logar at, at the beginning of the film to go and see the spaceship when he gets um, abducted, Cheku on the internet discovers uh, a, a news story about some one million year old graffiti that's been bound, which uh, Arif had done earlier in the film when he gets back to one million years ago of um, how Arif loves Cheku. And that makes her realize that Logar's tricked her, uh, sent Arif back in time and so she knows what's what's what. And when Logar comes around dressed as Arif, uh, she immediately knows that that it's Logar because he ha- hasn't put his contacts in properly. And as uh, Arif predicted, he's not managed to get the hair right. He's got the parting on the wrong <laughs> side. <laughs> and so she uses his time travel technology to go back in time and rescue Arif. Uh, and then they go back to the future and live happily ever after. And then the very last scene is Logar getting sent back in time with his own time machine and a t-rex turns up and eats him and that's it happy endings all round. everyone in their proper place and yeah it was a it was it was a fun time i, I quite liked it
1: yeah i didn't like the overall movie i found kind of boring like the storyline but the mm-hmm. jokes i really thought were funny like i enjoyed yeah. the characters and the jokes don't really care about prehistoric football but no it wasn't as good as the wallace and gromit
2: one but- <laughs> It is interesting that that seems to be like a almost a trope, like the prehistoric yeah. football. Mm-hmm. Did did early man sort of steal from um, Agor or whatever this film's called, Arog. Arog? Arog, yeah, maybe. What year was early man? Was it like 2018? And this is 2008, isn't it? So,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and it was the same idea where they're doing it to in order to get their freedom, right? They were slaved people from this other yeah. civilization.
2: Uh, And then also the, I guess the other trope that we kind of touched on is, um, sexing the monkey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But apart from those two things, so this movie is almost entirely set in the stone age, it's full of stone age content. And yet as I'm watching it, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to comment on because most of the movies like they draw inspiration from real life finds or they have real misconceptions or things like this mm-hmm. this movie i think is what happens when you have a society that doesn't teach evolution mm-hmm. make a movie about the stone age and there's just like it just seems like everything is just based on other movies uh, like pop culture knowledge there's no real like i, I i'm not sure what we're going to comment on cuz there's just no nothing factual in any of it no. you know yeah
1: There was even something, there was a comment that he made at the end that was very creationalist. What was it? Um,
2: Was it, uh, maybe we didn't evolve from monkeys, but we are devolving to monkeys. Is that that it? Yeah. Something like that, yeah.
0: He says, uh, his final monologue is, the books show you bent and twisted. They show you to be like monkeys. What a lie that is. Maybe we didn't evolve from monkeys, but we sure are evolving to monkeys. Yes,
1: that's what he said. What a lie that is. So,
0: yeah. He's, he makes a lot of comments about like how evolution isn't real, but it's like, it, it, there's not even really much to comment on that because it's just basically saying, nope, evolution's not yeah. real. Here's the rest of the movie. And then again, so nope, not evolution's real. not real. Mm. So um, Ross, he already commented on how his wife right at the beginning is looking on the internet and she's like, did uh, did people really evolve for monkeys? Uh-huh. And then there's the snake. He says, no evolution. It's just like any other snake. Uh, and then there's another scene where um, when he's uh, trying to teach uh, Tasso how to uh, get Mimi, uh, I didn't quite understand this. He says, I'm going to ask you something, uh, but it may be a little personal. Did we come from monkeys? And then Tasso says, no, we came from the village together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I think the implication there might have been uh, like a rhetorical question. Yeah. Did we evolve from monkeys? No, of course not. We are humans, so you're capable of, of romancing this woman or something like that, you know? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it's interesting the
2: kind of approach they take. So it's not, it's not uh, there's not a blatantly religious angle to it in the way that, for example, um, Inherit the Wind has a clear uh, religious angle that's anti-evolution. Hmm and anti-scientific uh, whereas this is just like nope we don't need to think about that don't look at the man behind the curtain um yeah kind of approach
1: well and he says when when she asked them like did we evolve for monkeys he's like don't look what are you doing looking up on internet like don't do that it'll fill your head with lies so
2: yeah don't, don't worry <laughs> yeah. your pretty little head kind of stuff
1: yeah
0: uh i almost got the feeling that So it's not like a propaganda film. It's not trying to teach anti-evolution. But I got the feeling that maybe this is just sort of the result of like a Turkish identity where they're trying to maintain their like Muslim worldview in the face of sort of being on the edge of the Western world, which is dominated by the scientific worldview. Yeah. Um. In kind of the same way that in Canada, especially in the 90s, a lot of our popular culture was dominated by showing that we're not American. So I bet you could watch a lot of Canadian movies and things from the 90s that just sort of, you know, maybe to someone who's not from Canada, sort of arbitrarily just sort of compare ourselves to American and show how we're different. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's just like the Turkish national identity is sort of like, we are the culture that doesn't believe in evolution. And then it just has these sort of comments like, no evolution, no evolution, you know?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, definitely Turkey um, has been in the news a lot for um, particular kind of anti-evolution stance. So, um, you know, I think it's worth talking a bit about uh, Adnan Oktar and uh, the Atlas of Creation, which is Turkish produced, Turkish financed. Um, So the Atlas of Creation was sent to a whole bunch of people worldwide uh, in biology departments, in science departments at universities and schools, uh, for free, uh, and it's kind of fairly notorious amongst, um, I guess, academic circles. Uh, if you don't have a copy, you know someone that's that's received one. It was almost a badge of honour, I think, um, to get one when they when they were being sent out about ten, fifteen years ago. Uh, I certainly know a couple of people have got them, um, and they're kind of lavishly uh, produced full-colour, telephone directory size, uh, books, which kind of show, uh, I guess, Islamic uh, creationists' argument, which is basically, look at these pictures of fossils, look at these pictures of modern-day animals, Uh, there's not enough difference, therefore evolution didn't happen. Which, you know, is superficially possibly quite quite convincing, not to the, the audience that it was sent to, I mean, your average... Academic biologist or or historian of science is not going to fall for that, but uh, school secondary schools and and, and, uh, non biologists might. Um, And so it was funded by this guy called Adnan Oktar, who writes under the pen name of of Harun Yahya, who was the face of Islamic creationism and the face of Turkish creationism, I guess as well. And his um, kind of shadowy financing and uh, background really influenced, I think, a lot of the Turkish public education. And so, I mean, Turkey is, at least nominally, uh, a secular state. Its, its founder um, was an atheist and didn't want religion to interfere with, um, with public education, with public society. And, and so, nominally, although that has changed, um, as all kind of founders' intentions tend to, um, that has changed. And so... The the kind of creationist works of, of uh, Adam and have kind of been exported worldwide as the kind of um, alternative to kind of Christian creationism. A way of saying you know it's not just these uh, right wing evangelicals. We've also got right wing um, Islamists that, that uh, are creationists, and it, that's because you know it is a religious um, position. It's a an uh, Abrahamic religious position, um, so that's why it's common to Islam. Christianity, Judaism—that those are the three main uh, Abrahamic uh, religions—and they also all have um, sections of them which are uh, strongly creationist because of reasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, Adam Oktar is a very, very, very creepy guy. Um, he's a wrongin like through and through, and he's currently in jail for. I, I looked it up on on uh, Wikipedia because he's currently in jail for. Uh, Eight thousand six hundred and fifty-eight years uh, in Turkey for running um, <laughs> uh, a sex trafficking cult, essentially, and drugs offences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, like many people that use the cloak of religion um, and claim to be, you know, holier than thou, they use it as a, a, a smokescreen to, to cover all sorts of nefarious activities. And this guy was no different. He, I remember, he um, used to put out very. Well, I'm not going to say swish, but very um, exp- expensive-looking, but you know, cheap expensive-looking, like you know, Trump expensive-looking, lots of gold and marble, that right. kind of nonsense. Um, he used to put out these kind of roundtable discussions, which were always uh, populated by some very um, plastic-looking uh, women who had obviously been through extensive rounds of plastic surgery, and they were reading off scripts which would been. Clearly written by Adnan Octor and this these kind of uh, pretend um, back and forth discussions about why evolution is false, you know, essentially kind of uh, sexy fishing for for converts, you know, trying to reel them in with uh, with sex appeal, that kind of stuff, uh, and and uh, you know, it turns out that actually some of these women had been trafficked into his organization, um, and that's why he's now in jail for nearly uh, nine millennia. Um, and there you go. <laughs> Yeah, he's Good. a bad, a bad he dude. He serves hmm. every day of it. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's worth, if you ever get a chance to have a look at the Atlas of Creation, it's, it's definitely worth a look. It's such a, a kind of weird book. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in there that, that will you know, wouldn't have made it past any kind of proper um, rigorous screening. So uh, there's one particular, particularly well-recognized um, howler where they've shown a fossil of, I think it's a, some kind of insect and then they've shown, and here's a modern insect to show that they haven't changed at all, but the modern insect they've used is a is a a fly, a fishing fly you know it's made out of wire and uh, bits of feather um, so yeah, that's a the evolution of fishing
1: What was the book
0: called Atlas of creation oh yeah, as with um most like religious um proselytizing materials uh it looks like it shouldn't be too hard to find this i am opening a pdf of it as we speak but it's taking a long time because it's 870 pages (laughs) uh but assuming this is the correct book i will link this in the show notes um another interesting thing just about the movie in general is that we watched this on um youtube the title was just stone age movie because as part of My job with this podcast, sometimes I just Google Stone Age movies and see what comes up. (laughs) Um, so it doesn't, it didn't actually have the name of, oh, it said failed to load PDF document. Well, I'll try again later and see if we can get that in the show notes it it didn't actually have the name of the movie on the youtube link that we watched but if you actually search for it by name on youtube you can get dozens of full uploads of this movie and some of them have like 25 million views so this movie is not hard to find it's uh it's uploaded everywhere uh the the original the uh the first movie Gora is actually available on netflix in canada uh so i'm not sure if uh arog might be available on netflix in some countries as well but if you wanted to watch this movie it's very easy to find it once you know how to look for it so um another thing about this atlas of creation for context is that this big distribution event you're talking about where they mailed it out to all these biologists Mm -hmm. happened in 2007 and this movie came out in 2008 uh, so i 'm sure this was something that was being talked about, uh, and i 'm sure that influenced the the development of this movie in some way mm-hmm. and I
2: mean it has influenced i think um, you know, public education in, in Turkey as well um, i mean there's clearly been a lot of money funneled into this uh now banned um, organization that that produced that was of creation uh, and you know, like with you know, the deep South and, and, you know, Kitzmiller versus Dover and all these kind of, um, attempts to, to get creationism in by the back door that's kind of happening or has happened in Turkey. And so, uh, as far as I know, evolution is not part of the the public education curriculum in, in Turkey now. Um, and you won't hear about it during, um, compulsory education at all.
0: Yeah. It was officially banned in 2017, uh, for, uh, primary schools. So they can still teach it in universities, but it's illegal to teach evolution uh, to to school children in Turkey. Yeah. So I
2: mean, essentially, they're at the state where,
0: um, you know, they need
2: a a scopes monkey trial um, in Ankara or uh, Istanbul or somewhere to to, um, jumpstart things a bit.
0: I uh, wonder... How successful something like that could be in Turkey, because there was a study, there was a survey from 2006, which I've uh, cited in a lot of my uh, courses, uh, that uh, surveyed uh, belief in evolution across 34 countries, mostly European, uh, but also including the United States and Japan. And Turkey was the lowest on that list, uh, right below the United States, interestingly enough, which is why this uh, story was so big at the time, because United States had just slightly higher levels of belief in uh, evolution than Turkey. Uh, But the question they asked was, um, they asked people to respond true or false, human beings as we know them developed from earlier species of animals. And uh, in Turkey, the response was about 25% uh, true to that statement. In the United States, it was about 40%. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: but I guess also you have to imagine that that number is a massive improvement from uh, the scope's time when, um, when that, that trial was, was underway, uh, and that um, through the efforts of those, they've managed to um, increase awareness and understanding of, of, uh, of evolution.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, normally we start our episodes nitpicking the scientific mistakes in the movie, and we didn't do that on this one. Uh, Is it worth doing that at all?
1: I mean, most of the mistakes are things that we've been over so many times, like dinosaurs and humans don't coexist. and, And evolution, I mean, they had cultural evolution be, the idea of cultural evolution be quite linear, right? Like he had this idea that you start from one end and you just keep like that there's a formula that you follow and if you follow that you'll end up with modern civilization which mm. is not correct
2: yeah i thought that was interesting as well it's not something that really gets a lot of serious thought i guess in in the, the kind of hollywood movies that we've talked about the kind of teleology of uh, you know, you always have to have you, you can you can basically um force a movement from stone age to uh, metal Ages to to modern times. I don't think that's something that would occur to to many kind of Western um, script writers as something that that would make sense to an audience. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm giving the audience too much credit. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Hard to say.
0: Oh, there's one little statement right at the end. Of the news reporter when they're talking about the discovery of uh, R.F.'s uh, cave painting. Uh, they say that, uh, carbon, carbon tests show the paintings to be between 500,000 and 1 million years old. And there's like four things wrong with that (laughs) statement. So you can't do carbon dating for anything older than about 50 to 70,000, uh, because at that point, all of the radioactive carbon has decayed and there's nothing left. Uh, so 500,000 to 1 million is, um, way too old for carbon dating. Second, it's pretty difficult to carbon date paintings or to, like, date paintings at all. Mm-hmm. Um, third, 500,000 to 1 million is a pretty big error range. Normally, I'd hope, I'd hope we'd get something a little more precise than that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you can carbon date actual kind of late Paleolithic uh, cave paintings where they've used uh, charcoal or, or carbon-based paints. That can be and has been been done, so that's how we have kind of dates for places like Lascaux and Chauvet and uh, uh, Altamira and, and places like that because they've used charcoal, which is essentially carbon that's come from a living tree. Um, and the the kind of AMS methods, the accelerated mass spectroscopy methods of radiocarbon today use you know on the order of of a few milligrams of of material, so it, it can can be done. And I guess mm-hmm. there's also alternative dating methods. For, for that kind of time period. Like if um, you look at kind of flowstone analysis of if, if flowstone has covered um, carvings on a wall, they can use that and have used that in, in the past. So I mean, definitely th- this uh, glosses over the fact that, you know, dating cave paintings is difficult, but also really interesting um, and, and worth kind of looking
0: into. Yeah, my understanding is one of the reasons it's difficult to date even paintings that are carbon based uh, is just because there are just carbon on a surface so like all of the dirt and stuff in the mm-hmm. air like if there's soot in the air from things like that it'll adhere to the surface and then when you scrape off some of that carbon paint to date it you're getting younger carbon along with it mm-hmm. so you're just going to skew your your results uh, yeah. and you know if caves are, are limestone
2: you know calcium carbonate you've got scrape some of that off you've got carbon in there too in the stone and that's yep. not going to do your your dating any favors that's going to be old old carbon
1: yeah there's that one i forget which cape painting it is but they've taken samples from different parts of the artwork and they've gotten diff, like completely different dates from each part and mm. so, so you know is it that they've added on to the artwork afterwards probably not for that big of a gap right but so there's something yeah. happening with the preservation
2: it's, it's a good point that you know people do tend to take carbon dates as you know for want of a better word as gospel um but there's a lot of uncertainty not just with the dates themselves in terms of the error ranges but you know has it is the carbon that you're dating only from the thing that you want to date uh, has it been contaminated um are you looking at something like kim said is it a retouching of a painting that was done you know 10,000 years after the original painting was done all these kind of questions yeah. um you know it's just the, the nature of of uh, of the science that that uh, you might get an answer, but how much uh, trust do you put in the answer? How certain well, can you be? Well, and
1: then now there's they're saying that um, we've messed with the environment so much, especially with the atom bombs and stuff, that our way of radiocarbon dating isn't going to work from anything modern now, right? So, in the future, if they try and radiocarbon date stuff from now, it's going to have to be completely recalibrated. And that's assuming that yeah. the carbon in the environment from now till then stays stable, right? Because so I think it's the last 50 years or so, It's we've just messed with it, so.
2: Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's why all, all radiocarbon dates are before kind of 1950. That's the, yeah, the, the cut kind off. of cutoff point for when, when the H-bomb tests were done. But, I mean, you can sort of date um, stuff post-1950 just by looking at the... Um, the spikes of particular um, radioactive isotopes in there. Um, right. Because, yes, we've messed uh, the atmosphere up uh, and sort of filled it full of weird radioactive isotopes that you wouldn't normally find. But at least we know um, when and where those isotopes were put into the atmosphere. Yeah. For the most part.
1: Interesting.
2: Do Josh, do you know of any of the, the newer sequels to this film? Do they have a prehistoric um, setting or
0: illusion or anything like that where do they go
1: there's more of these but the bad guy died
0: <laughs> the um the third in the series from 2018 is called Arif v 216 they all have terrible names i wonder if these names are more culturally meaningful in uh turkish um i think there's a robot named 216 in the first movie and so in the third movie um this robot comes from Gora to Earth and meets up with Arif and wants to become a human or something. I think that's the premise of it. And then they go back in time to 1969. I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, why wouldn't you?
2: I mean, if you had a time machine, that's a pretty good time to pick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then the Netflix series, I don't know anything about it. I wasn't able to find it. I didn't uh, look very hard for that, though. But I don't think any of them else, any of the others, have to do anything with uh, uh, the Stone Age at all, unfortunately. Hmm. well maybe we can uh, go over some of our favorite jokes Um, there's two types of joke in this movie that I really like that they do constantly Um, one of them is just constantly referencing other movies like they're always talking about other movies in the scene where um, Logar has uh, RF uh, trapped in the uh, uh, the Incredibles magic electric handcuff ring or something whatever it is called Um, he's like monologuing to him and he's talking about how he's going to, um, after he's stolen his identity and he looks exactly like him, except his hair is parted from the wrong side. (laughs) Uh, he tells his little sidekick to bring him the thing from the Tom Cruise movie and, uh, he hands him the mask from, um, Eyes wide shut, <laughs> he holds it up to his face, and then the the chanting music starts, and then he pulls it off his face, he's like no, not that movie, the other movie, and then he brings him some voice changing thing. I don't know what movie that's from. Is it from uh, Mission Impossible? Mission Impossible or yeah. something?
2: I imagine it would be.
0: And then RF is constantly making references to movies. Like he he sees the Tyrannosaurus, and he's like, oh, I know you from Jurassic Park. I've seen all your movies, yes. right?
1: One of what I enjoyed. Is when they who was just talking to the tribe at first and they realized they could speak the same language or something. And one of the guys finally and it kind of says something in a half and walks off. And Arif's like, Wait, there was no subtitles for that. What was that?
0: <laughs> yeah. that was yeah, that's my other favorite type of joke is the breaking the fourth wall. They yeah. do that constantly in this movie.
2: It's a very film literate film, isn't it? I mean, there, there's like at least, you know a dozen, two dozen other films that are referenced just by Arif, Uh like Braveheart's in there, uh, Tom Cruise, um, what else? Jurassic Park, yeah, Face Off, all sorts of stuff, which, uh, yeah, makes it quite funny.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's done well. Even silly jokes, I, I quite like, like when he was asking after the Face Off thing, he asked, or the um, remote for the time machine. And so the guy hands it to him and then he turns it on and then a little um, automated car or whatever, like the toy thing drives by. And then he's like, no, no, the other one.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's almost cute. a bit kind of uh, naked gun cell, that kind of just constant yeah. uh, visual jokes, which, are, yeah. which is, which is funny. My, yeah. my favorite one was definitely the, the face off mustache. That was, uh, <laughs> I yeah. find that very amusing. <laughs>
0: uh i feel like during the it's not as good as uh like other leslie nielsen slapstick movies because the jokes aren't quite as constant and especially during the football match at the end it really sort of slows down Mm -hmm. yeah i think you have to be you have to have sort of this non-north american interest in football to really care about that scene very much Mm -hmm. but uh they make a lot of fourth wall breaking jokes in that uh football game um there's one where the goalie makes a big save in slow motion, and you can see clearly it's a different actor. Yeah. And uh, the opposite team says, hey, you're lying. That's a, that's a different person. And he's like, well, it was a stunt double. What do you expect? He's going to do it himself. <laughs> and um, another one, they make a big goal, and uh, the bad guys make a goal. And then there's an instant replay that says, like, replay in the corner where they make the same goal in slow motion. And then cuts back to real time and the bad guys are like, yeah, that's a second goal for us. And they're like, that's not a, that doesn't count as a goal. That was a replay. <laughs> well, I guess if you want commentary on all of the actual archaeological stuff in here, go check out our other episodes where we talk about tattoos in mm. the Iceman episode, where we talk about, I think we probably talk about pottery in quite a few episodes. Uh, we talk about cave paintings in Alpha and in um, lots of episodes. We talk about cave paintings, right? Yeah. Uh, the Descent. And football. Um, we talk about football. No. Football. Talk about football in the early man. Um, this is not a very science-heavy episode, I suppose. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it was nice to have a, a, a film which you had no
2: kind of preconceptions about and actually enjoy it. Cause, uh, yeah. It was, it was and when it first fun. started
1: with the spaceman and stuff, I wasn't quite sure. Cause you're like, okay, this could either be hilarious or horrible. And I really was like, uh, I don't know.
0: But yeah, it was good. <laughs> I was fully prepared to have my movie choosing privileges. Yeah, I, taken I, away I really for thought we were going episodes to. After this yeah. one. <laughs> I was like, Josh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Almost by accident. You've, you've managed to find a good film. That's great. <laughs>
0: This will be a good episode to ask our viewers, our listeners, uh, if you like this podcast, tell your friends about this podcast, because the movies, uh, the, the big blockbuster movies that we cover get a lot of listens. These really obscure ones don't get a lot of listens. Mm. Uh, but I like doing these ones mm. because uh, they let us watch something we never would have otherwise yeah. heard about. Yeah,
1: definitely. I've watched a Lots lot of, of movies ideas. in the last two movies years that I would have never watched or heard about or thought about.
0: Same.
2: We should also mention uh, that that Josh is due congratulations because uh, his talk about this podcast won the award for best talk.
0: So, oh yeah, at the very prestigious Paleoanthropological Society of Canada conference <laughs> that had about twenty five attendees. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know it, so- it's good for the CV.
1: Yeah, and it's. It was that's our true. first conference that wasn't attached to the Canadian Association of Physical Anthropology, so it was the first standalone conference for the society. It's only a few years old. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. I did not stay. Sorry, it was. In the, I went to bed after my talk.
0: <laughs> did you give yours remotely? Yes, Kim, Kim. You presented at about midnight, right? Yeah,
1: I presented at midnight here.
0: Did
2: any cats make an appearance?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> But I had had, I was fighting off a migraine all day, so I was on my migraine medication. So I actually wasn't nervous for the talk at all. And, uh, great. Just, it was actually really, I just gave it without worrying about anything. So, yeah, it's kind of the way to do it.
2: Yeah. Don't
0: try that at home, kids. <laughs> well, do we want to wrap up this episode on Arog? One thing we never mentioned is for some reason, both Gora and Arog are abbreviated A.R.O.G. And I yes. never understood that because Arag just seems to be the name of the village yeah. and Gora just seems to be the name of the planet.
1: I found mm. that confusing too. And I kept Googling Argos, which would take me to that shop in the <laughs> UK.
2: <laughs> Did you get anything?
1: No. no. Yeah, I'm,
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it must be explained in the first film why, and then the second film is just an anagram which has maybe no meaning, I don't know.
0: Well, um, I like this one. I thought it was very funny. I'm sure it would be a lot funnier if you spoke Turkish.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. Oh, the one thing that I did enjoy too is that, so at the beginning when she's looking at the internet, she says, did people come from um, monkeys? And he says, what are you doing on the internet? You're learning all this silly stuff, put it away, put it away. And it's her being on the internet that saves him, right? because she's paying attention yeah, that's and right. that's when she notices so good point yeah
0: oh yeah well, usually we usually mention whether or not the movie passes the Bechdel test and this one definitely does no. not no. there are two main women characters uh, who are only love interests main, yeah
1: never in and the they same never talk scene to each other.
0: together no and never in the same parallel dimension <laughs> apart <laughs> from about five seconds yeah <laughs>
1: It's so astonishing how few movies pass the Bechdel test once you start paying attention to it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It just doesn't, like, it's half the population of the world. Like, it doesn't make sense why.
2: That's why you can't go wrong with aliens. Mm. The film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: If you've been enjoying Screens of the Stone Age, get in touch with us. Follow us on Twitter at SOTSA underscore podcast and on Facebook at SOTSA podcast. Or send us an email to screensofthestoneage@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Screens of the Stone Age is supported by the Paleoanthropological Society of Canada. Find out more at pasc-scpa.ca.